My welcome to Ben's. Great to have you with us. Um, do keep that passage open in front of you. And um, as we get started, let me lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, how we praise you that these are the words of eternal life. And we ask that, please, this morning, they might be um, that for us as we hear, that we might enjoy and experience this life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. After the, uh, the Queen died um, 18 months or so ago, lots of stories came out about her life. Um, my favorite one by far was one that one of her security agents told. Um, he described a time when they were up in Balmoral, um, her Scottish home, and they were out wandering on the hills together when they came across two hikers, two American hikers. Did you hear this story? It's a wonderful one. Um, they come up and they, and they meet um, the security guard and the queen, but they don't recognize her as the queen. So they just get chatting. Do you live round here? Yes, she says. Well, I, well, I live in London, but I, I do have a house just over the hill. Oh, wonderful. Have you, have, you, have you had that house long? Oh, about 80 years, she said. Um, wow, they thought. You, well, you must have met the queen then. Um, quick as a flash, she says, um, no, but, but my friend here meets her all the time. So what does one of the Americans do? Immediately puts his arm around this security agent, hands the camera to the queen, and says, can I have a photo with him, please? It's a wonderful moment. Um, very sweetly, they do say, why don't you have a photo with her as well? So that when they get home, they've actually got a photo with, with the queen. It is a brilliant story. Um, it is a great example of how you can be part of something but have no idea what's actually going on. And that you can um, meet the queen somehow and not know it. Um, those um, folks had the experience, but they missed the meaning um, of that encounter. And um, they met her, but they had no idea what was really going on. Uh, there's something very similar going on here in John chapter 6. And um, that you have a whole crowd of people who have an experience, but they completely miss the meaning. And that's uh, what's going on. Jesus has performed this great sign. He's fed 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish. Um, it is a, a great sign, one that points to Jesus as the one who can give us eternal life. But the crowds just don't get it. They have the experience, but they miss the meaning. Well, in this um, rest of John chapter 6... And we're going to get some help understanding, why does that happen? How can you miss something like that? And Jesus is going to help us to understand who he really is, so that we ourselves don't miss out this morning. And the reason why they do miss out, um, it's drawn out in those first few interactions with Jesus um, as they talk with him. And what we'll see through those is how um, the crowd can only see as far as this world. That's their frame of reference. That's all they can really think about. Um, and that's what stops them from seeing the significance of what Jesus is doing. Um, so verse um, 26, we'll see they are focused on physical food. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. All they're thinking of is their next meal. Jesus says elsewhere, their, their minds are taken up with questions of what they will eat and what they will drink, what they will wear, and they run after those things. 
Now, of course, those things are important. It's important to be clothed and fed. But they are not the most important thing. Um, And here, that thought of the next meal, the thought that Jesus can simply provide for those physical things, it means that they miss the point completely. That's what Jesus wants to point them to, the things that really last. But they just see physical food on offer here. And there in verse 27, what does Jesus say to them? Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Why do they have the experience and miss the meaning? Because they can only see as far as this world. Their thought is on physical food. Second, they are focused on on human effort, on what they might do. And what did Jesus just say to them? He said, there is a kind of eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. What's their next question? What must we do to do the works of God, the works that God requires? They bring it back down to their level again. They're focused on physical food, and now they focus on human effort. What do we do? What's our contribution? See how Jesus responds. They ask, what works must we do? Plural. Jesus replies, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. That's all Jesus asks. We just need to believe and receive that gift. Over and over again, that's going to be a stumbling block for the people. The people are going to think that it is about what they do for God. The thought that it's about our efforts rising their way up to God, rather than the thought that there is a gift that comes down from Him. So, uh, the second thing that they are focused on, human effort. And then thirdly, they are fixed on human leaders. And we saw it last week when they thought at the end of the story um, to make Jesus their king. They were thinking he might be an earthly sort of king, someone who would lead them and give them more bread and fish day after day. You see it again in verse 30 of our passage. What do they ask Jesus? What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Basically, they are, they are asking, what proof is there that Jesus is worth listening to and following? But the, the crucial thing to notice is who they are measuring Jesus against. They are thinking back to Moses. They're thinking back to the Exodus when Israel ate manna in the wilderness. They remember a time when he gave them bread to eat. But who is the he? seems that they are thinking of Moses and wondering whether Jesus can match up to Moses. And you see that in what Jesus says to them, verse 32. Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. When they look back to the Exodus story, they seem to think those days were wonderful because we had Moses. Um, He led us. Maybe Jesus is another man like Moses come to lead us. But what they're missing is that it was God who gave them that manna back in the wilderness. Even more importantly, it is God who is now giving them this bread of life, this bread from heaven. But they don't see it. Why do these crowds miss the meaning of what is going on? It's because their minds are on physical things and human effort and human leaders. This world and its resources. Before we move on from from that section, I I need us to realize how much of a trap that is for all of us. 
Isn't this how we are taught to think and live and plan our lives? To think, how can we get those physical things? How can we meet our needs? How can we collect more stuff? That's where um, our hope should be. That it is down in the end to how hard we work, what we can accomplish, what we can make of ourselves. It comes down to the leaders that we choose, the promises that they make, that maybe there is somebody around the political corner who can put everything right and fix it. It's what we are constantly told to have our eyes there and only there. What is in this world, the things of this world, the people of this world? It is a tragic thing because it, it means that we are fixed on things that in the end are fleeting and failing and passing. Everything in this world has a best before date on it. Everything will fade or rot or, or fail. But we, we still live as if those are the things that matter, that those are the things that we really want to gather around us. We miss the truth that there is more to life than simply gathering up those things and hoping for the next experience. That line that we started with about having the experience but missing the meaning, um, it comes from a poem that is really trying to describe how so many of us go through life. That we, that we live, we go through the experience day by day, week by week, month by month. We gather our things, we, we live our lives, but we miss what really matters. We miss the world as it really is. The thought that there is not just this world, but there is a heaven. And there is one who has come from heaven to give meaning to life. The danger that so many of us go through life having the experience, missing the meaning. So what do we do about that? Well, the answer is, is here in the rest of John chapter 6. Jesus performs this miracle of providing bread as a sign, as a sign to lift our eyes away from this world to what has come from heaven, to heaven's great gift. Um, so the next um, big heading, heaven's gift, the bread of life. Verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now this is, is a long reading. There's a lot in this chapter and we're not going to have time for everything. But I want to pull out two great themes of what Jesus teaches here as he, as he describes himself as the bread of life. And the first one is this, and that he has come down so that he could raise us up. What does it mean that Jesus is um, the bread of life? Well, it, just like that manna in the wilderness, he has come down from heaven. It's one of the comparisons you could make. The manna came down, and Jesus has come down. Again, it teaches us to say this world is not all there is. The answer to our problems doesn't come from down here. It doesn't come from looking inside and finding the hero inside yourself. It comes from up there. And what is up there? What does Jesus describe? A father and a son whose will is that we might have life. A father and a son whose shared will is to bring life to the world by sending Jesus into the world. He comes down so that he can raise us up, so that he can give us new life. And it's all the way through those verses, the language of life. The promise that he will raise us up at the last day, that when he comes back, we will have life forever. Verse 39, again in verse 40, he will raise us up at the last day. An eternal sort of life. Never thirsting, never hungry again. 
And can you imagine that? It is not how most of us go through life. Our, our experience of life is, is of a slow emptying out of ourselves, isn't it? And the way that our life is simply a, a long losing battle with these bodies of ours. Um, I heard someone this week describing it as like trying to hold water in your hands. Have you ever done that? You've, you've cupped your hands together just as tightly as you can, but it slowly seeps away and there's nothing you can do about it. That's what it feels like to go through life. And yet here is Jesus promising that through him, you can be filled to the brim with life, never thirsting or hungering ever again. The gift of eternal life. Jesus has come down so that he could raise us up to that sort of life. Then verse 51, the next big idea here. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He starts talking about the bread as his flesh. Um, he goes on to talk about how his flesh and blood are the way that we're going to receive eternal life. And the big idea is this, that Jesus gives his life, gives us life through his death. That it's, that it's not enough for Jesus simply to come down, um, but rather that he must give himself, his life in our place, um, his life in place of the world. Um, he gives himself for the world in its place. It's that idea we heard right at the start of John's gospel that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's what we remember as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. Taking the punishment that we deserve for our sins, he dies so that we might live. He gives us, he gives us life through his death, his flesh and his blood. And that is something, confusingly, that we are to eat and to drink. It's confused a lot of people. Follow with me from verse 54. Jesus says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. When Jesus says he's going to give his flesh for the world, that, that makes sense. That speaks about him dying in our place. But what about this idea that we are to um, receive his flesh and blood to eat and to drink? What does it mean to feed on Jesus? And well, first of all, we need to see it is a picture of actually believing in Jesus. Um, no one actually has to eat his flesh and drink his blood. We're Christians, not cannibals. But what Jesus is describing here is the need to believe in him and his death in particular, to know that his body broken and his blood poured out. That is where our hope is, and that is what we are called to believe in. Um, it's been the theme all the way through the chapter that the one thing we must do, after all, is believe. Verse 35, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Verse 47, the one who believes has eternal life. And now when, when Jesus starts talking about eating and drinking, um, he's doing it in the same place that believing has, the same role that believing has. Let's see that on, on the screen. Um, in verse 47, the one who believes has eternal life. In verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. 
Do you see how they're parallel? They're the same. To believe is to eat his flesh and drink his blood. So it is a picture of trusting in his death, believing in him. It is a picture of believing. But then we should also say that pictures do really matter. Jesus is going to give us a lot of pictures, and particularly in these chapters to come. His I am sayings are going to pile one image on top of another. What is he? He is the bread of life. He is the vine. He is the good shepherd. Pictures that help us understand more of what it means to believe in Jesus. So here, what Jesus wants to do is to to connect in our minds, believing in Jesus and eating and believing. To connect eating with believing. Now, how does that help us understand? How does that help us as a picture to know what it means to believe in Jesus? Well, first of all, the fact that he chooses bread matters. What is bread? For most cultures, in most places, at most times, it is the absolute staple of life. It is essential. I learned something this week. I I thought the saying was that bread is the stuff of life. Um, It's not. The, The saying, apparently, is the staff of life. Bread is the staff of life. It It holds you up. Um, It is the thing that supports you and sustains you. Um, Bread is the great staff of life. Jesus chooses that um, because it's not some, some sort of fancy bit of bread on the side of your main course. No, it is essential. It is at the heart of, of life. To have him is to be sustained. So bread is an important picture to say how central Jesus is. Then the picture of eating matters. How is bread going to do you any good? If bread is sat there on the supermarket shelf and you're looking at it and studying it and checking the price and the ingredients list, has it done you any good yet? No. How is bread going to help you? When it's broken and when it's eaten. When it's actually taken into you. It needs to get inside you so that its nutrients can actually go to work. That's what Jesus speaks about there in verse 56. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. So crucial, this idea of Jesus, um, by our faith, him actually coming into us and being at work in us. So helpful to understand what it really means to be a Christian. Let me try and illustrate it this way. Um, We were... Last week, watching an episode of The West Wing, um, that great show about the American president. Um, In this episode, the president is ill, and he needs to take some medicine, and all the staff are really worried about him because he's not taking any medicine. And at one point, what he does is he pulls the tablets out of his pocket and says, look, there you are. Don't worry. I've got them. They're there in my pocket. They make the obvious point. It's no good having them in your pocket. You actually need to take them. Seems a very kind of male solution, doesn't it? Um, Don't worry, I've I've got the pills, the multivitamins, they're there on my desk. Somehow they're making me better. No, you've got to take the medicine. You've got to take it into you. Well, here's the point. A lot of people carry Jesus around in their pocket. They know about him. They can talk about him. They can explain how his death works. They want him there. It feels a little bit better if they know he's there. But they haven't actually fed on him. They haven't eaten him. He hasn't become part of them. And he hasn't become part of them. 
And that means that they don't experience what it actually is to be a Christian. To find that God's life actually starts to work in us. To change us from the inside. Not just able to explain Jesus' death, but actually to lean on it. To feed on it. To experience something of that peace that comes from knowing there is nothing that I need to do to please God. To know that I am safe with Him but to know that he has done it all, to experience that peace and to experience his transforming work in us. Believing is like eating. We must take Jesus into us. We must feed on him. So where then do we go? Where now? Um, It's a question that lingers over this passage. You might have noticed as we read um, through it. There are lots of of movement in this passage. Um, One of your first options is simply to come. Um, It's the great invitation that Jesus gives to the people here. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. So will you come to Jesus? Will you hear that invitation that you don't need to build your life around things that perish? that aren't going to last. You don't need to put all of your hope in that next leader. You don't need to think it's down to you and how hard you can work and what you can do. You can receive that gift. And that might be um, for you, you've not called yourself a Christian ever before, but you realize as you look around that life, it does just leak away. It seeps away from between your fingers. And what you would love to know is that there is eternal life. It can be yours. Trusting in Jesus. It might be that for some time now you have called yourself a Christian and yet you know that Jesus is really just there in the pocket. You've never really eaten or drunk or experienced God in your life. And come to him. He invites everyone But of course, not everyone does come in this chapter. There are many, in fact, who go away from Jesus. They have this experience, but they miss the meaning. When Jesus tries to teach the crowds and help them to see this great gift that's on offer, they stop paying attention. Um, Just have a look there in verse 41. Um, Jesus has um, been trying to help the crowds see it's not about what they do. It's not about human leaders. It is about this great gift from heaven. Verse 41, at this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I come down from heaven? Do you see how they've stopped engaging with Jesus? They're still just seeing an earthly perspective, aren't they? Who is this man? He's not come down from heaven. He's the carpenter's son. We know him. They're seeing it from an earthly perspective. They've stopped then engaging with Jesus, and they're not going to talk to him directly anymore. They do at the start of this passage, but after that, they just start speaking amongst themselves. They stop talking to Jesus, and then they stop listening to Jesus as well. Jesus wants to warn them. His words are full of spirit and life, but they don't listen. They don't listen to the Father. They don't listen to the Son, and so they go away. It is true even of lots of Jesus' disciples. 
There are many who, after the sign of the feeding of the 5,000 who've been following him, they've been following him because of those signs, but even they start to grumble, verse 61. And then in verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So you can come to Jesus this morning. You can go away from him with that crowd. But be in no doubt what you are going back to to perishable things, to death, when the invitation is to come and have life. But then finally there is Peter's decision to stay and those wonderful words that will be familiar to so many of us. As those other disciples go, Jesus asks, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You have the words of eternal life. And so we are going to keep feeding on you, in your word, um, as we learn more of you, as Jesus is going to add picture on picture. You don't need to understand everything this morning, but you can understand something. You can feed on Christ. You can hear how he is the one who gives life to you. We'll see so much more of him in these days ahead, but let's this morning hold on to this. He is the bread of heaven. He has the words of eternal life. And through him, we can know that life at work in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a rich and beautiful picture it is to think of the Lord Jesus as that bread of heaven. Um, that he is the great source of life, the living bread, the bread that never perishes. Father, thank you that because he came down, because he gave himself for the life of the world, that we can know that life in us. Father, we pray, please, that you will help us to come to him. Perhaps for the first time, to to look around our life and realize um, our life is just ebbing away, the things around us, everything with a best before date on it. But this promise of eternal life, Father, would you please help us to take hold of that and not just to understand it and hold it at a distance, but to take it into us, to feed on these things, that your life might be worked out in us, that we might have that sure and certain hope of eternal life. So Father, might that please be our conviction that we would come to the Lord Jesus and we would remain with him and him with us, that we would join with Peter in saying, you have the words of eternal life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.